Hello everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the second episode of Forest Fireside Chats. I want to apologize. My voice is a little scratchy. I've been a bit under the weather the past week, but the show must go on. Uh, it's Halloween. It's October 31st. Happy Halloween to everyone. I hope people will be celebrating in some way, spending time with family, friends. My housemate Edie and I will be giving out candy to all of the kids that come through our neighborhood, so I'm excited for that. Today we're going to be talking about the upcoming midterm elections in the United States. Election day is Tuesday, November 8th, and I hope that all of you listening are registered to vote and have a plan for how you are going to get to the polls on Tuesday. There are quite a few significant races happening this cycle that will have major implications on the environment. So we're going to be going through some of those really important, really critical elections and how they will be impacting U.S. environmental policy. My philosophy on voting is that yes, Voting is participating in an imperfect system, but elections have implications for the entire planet. They have implications for U.S. foreign policy that impacts every human being on the planet. And it is just a truth that we have this enormous responsibility to vote at every opportunity we have in order to actually use our privilege that others across the globe do not have. I know that depending on how elections go on Tuesday, we could either accelerate our progress towards decarbonization by 2030, or we could miss that goal and potentially ruin the planet's chances of not surpassing that two degrees Celsius hard limit increase in temperatures, global temperatures. So obviously that's pretty, pretty heavy of a responsibility to carry, but you know, this voting is just something so simple that everyone can do for the environment for climate change, for human rights, for free and fair elections, for abortion, for gun control. There's just a million ways in which voting impacts us as humans, both in the United States and across the planet. So why wouldn't you vote? I mean, let's use our privilege to try and put people into power that best represent our priorities. And our priorities are mitigating climate change, incorporating environmental justice into all policy decisions, conserving 30% of lands by 2030. All of these things are possible and they're things that we can vote for. I'm not gonna keep ranting about this because I could go on forever, but yeah, if you're still not convinced, We're about to go through several elections that will have major implications for the environment. 
I hope that you all enjoy this episode and learn a little. I know I did as I was researching. And thank you for tuning in. Yeah, so I'm not going to spend too much time on any one particular race because there is just so much to get to. Let's start with talking about the Senate races. In Georgia, Raphael Warnock is running for his seat, which he won in 2020, but it was a special election, so now he has to defeat the Republican candidate this year to stay in power another six years. The Republican Herschel Walker, who is running against Senator Warnock, is inaccurately talking about climate change and China's ability to get our good air, and that's a direct quote, and and give us their bad air. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because that's just not how atmospheric circulation works, but obviously China is one of the greatest emitters of greenhouse gases in the world, and that is a major issue. But he's also been criticizing the Inflation Reduction Act, the climate law that was just signed into law by President Biden, as most Republicans have been doing, which, which in and of itself is evil. I don't, the Inflation Reduction Act is one of the most important pieces of legislation to ever happen for environmental policy and environmental protection. But again, no Republicans voted for that bill, that piece of legislation in the Senate. On to Colorado. Senator Michael Bennett is the Democrat running with a platform that prioritizes conservation and climate change. He is currently working to pass something called the Colorado Outdoor Recreation and Economy, the CORE Act. And he's also been dealing with protecting Colorado River Basin. The Colorado River is facing a water crisis, a drought right now, and it's going to take a lot of collaboration among the Western states to prioritize conservation, drought recovery, and sustain the resources of the Colorado River. His opponent, Joe O'Dee, the Republican candidate, has stated that he believes climate change is happening and humans cause it to some degree, but he has stated that there's still a lot of debate to be had about the level of human influence on climate change. He has told the Washington Post, OD has told the Washington Post that he believes prudent but not urgent action on climate should be taken by the federal government. That is not what we want. We need people like Michael Bennett in the Senate to push for collaboration on climate change, collaboration on conservation. In Nevada, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto, the Democrat incumbent, was pretty happy with the passing of the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, She received some drought-related wins, including $4 billion for the Bureau of Reclamation to better deal with drought in Nevada. Her Republican opponent is the Attorney General, Adam Laxalt, and he's been highly critical of the Inflation Reduction Act. 
he tweeted that it raises taxes on people making as little as $30,000 per year, which is completely false. In Arizona, Senator Mark Kelly, the incumbent, has been promoting the drought provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act. He has been very vocal about the issue of atmospheric carbon emissions and even other things like deforestation. But his Republican opponent, Blake Masters, is, like other Republicans, trying to discredit the Inflation Reduction Act and tying Mark Kelly to rising energy costs. Pennsylvania, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, a Democrat, has not promised to ban fracking, but has promised to try to transition away from fossil fuels. His opponent, uh, Dr. Oz, has made fracking a major piece of his campaign, and he has earned support and a lot of funding from the oil industry. He has also tried to blame Democrats for high energy prices in recent months. The last race I want to talk about is Wisconsin. Senator Ron Johnson, a Republican, has repeatedly denied climate science, climate change, and Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes certainly prioritized environmental policy and climate change in his campaign. He has, a, he has a good quote. He said, we still have one senator who wants to take us backwards. We know that Ron Johnson may say a lot of crazy things, but the reality is what he is doing in Washington is no joke. He's outright dangerous. And he is. Climate deniers all across the U.S. Senate is, is horrifying. One of Barnes' main climate credentials is that he was actually on the governor of Wisconsin's task force on climate change, which produced dozens of policy recommendations and even resulted in the creation of an office of environmental justice for the state. So he is certainly a better option than the incumbent, Ron Johnson. So Vox wrote a story on some of the most consequential elections for climate change that aren't particularly getting a lot of attention. So I want to go through four of those races. In North Carolina, the Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, is trying his best to implement a plan to tackle climate change and advance clean energy. But this requires that Governor Cooper be able to appoint climate officials, which can't be possible with a Republican supermajority. Republicans are only a handful of seats away from achieving that supermajority. So this upcoming election for state government could determine whether North Carolina can or cannot begin its plan to mitigate climate change. In Minnesota, uh, Democrats need to pick up only two seats to flip the Senate, the state Senate, and have a supermajority. Governor Tim Waltz has unveiled a climate plan that will cut pollution a lot faster, and this will be 
much easier to implement if Democrats do have a supermajority. Some of the things that could happen if Democrats can flip the Senate include more public transit, more access to electric vehicles, forests, grasslands, and wetlands will be restored, and the governor can keep working towards getting the private sector to prioritize net zero carbon in the state. In Corpus Christi, Texas, so Corpus Christi contains the United States' most active oil field. Corpus Christi is actually the number one exporter of crude oil, and the city council has a lot of say over what gets built within the oil field and how to oversee the oil industry within Corpus Christi. A climate group called Lead Locally has identified four candidates for the city council that will be best equipped to manage the oil field in a sustainable, climate-friendly way. Those include Dr. Nancy Vera, Dr. Jim Klein, Sylvia Campos, and Armin Alex. So even local elections are going to have huge implications for U.S. environmental policy and climate change. Finally, in Michigan, the incumbent attorney general, Dana Nessel, is a Democrat who has an ongoing complaint against a 1950s era liquid gas and crude oil pipeline. And if she loses this year's election, most likely this complaint against the oil pipeline will slip through the cracks. She's trying to shut down the Michigan portion of the pipeline because of its role in dozens of oil spills and the potential threats it imposes on natural areas and tribal lands. So all these races clearly have an enormous potential to either accelerate decarbonization, environmental protection, or really set the United States back. I, I encourage everyone listening to look at what's on your ballot and do the research yourself. You won't know the implications of your vote until you do that research. Maybe none of you live in North Carolina or Minnesota or Texas or Michigan. But these are just examples of what could potentially be the future of our planet and our country. I can't emphasize enough how important these midterm elections are. The last thing I want to bring up is concerning attorney general races. This year, 30 states uh, plus Washington, D.C. Are, are holding elections for attorney general. And currently, Republican attorneys hold 14 of the seats up for election, while Democrats occupy 16. Attorney general elections could tip the now Republican majority in the Democrats' favor. Currently, Republicans have 27 attorney generals, and Democrats have only 24. The power of an attorney general majority is not as clear, obviously, as within Congress, but there is strength in having that majority for multi-state laws, for collaboration, so that Democrats can create coalitions to bring multi-state suits forward. 
State attorneys have a lot of tools to address pollution and climate change, including filing comments and amicus briefs that can critique federal rules they don't like. They can also sue oil and gas businesses and other industries that are harming the planet. And the D.C. Attorney General has done this. And most obviously, they are the chief enforcers of state environmental laws. So make sure to find out if your state has an open election for attorney general this cycle. Let's now move on to talking about some of the biggest U.S. environmental news stories uh, from the past month. One really exciting thing that I just recently read about was the Biden-Harris administration's announcement of nearly $1 billion that will be spent on electrifying public school bus fleets. This is going to impact 389 school districts in the country and will cover all 50 states. This is being coordinated by the Environmental Protection Agency's Clean School Bus Program. And it's a pretty exciting idea to think that children won't be breathing in exhaust and the net carbon emissions of school buses will start to decline as soon as this year. So the Washington Post published an article this week about an oil refinery in the U.S. Virgin Islands that is now expected to release catastrophic amounts of hazardous substances. And this has quickly become a huge environmental justice issue because of the potential impacts on the Caribbean islands' black and brown population. EPA shut down the refinery back in spring 2021, but in the last year, noxious fumes and oil droplets have been showered onto nearby homes, which has resulted in those citizens of the St. Croix Island to have to go to the hospital. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't say much about what EPA plans to do about this to clean up the oil refinery. This is wildly concerning. But I guess the EPA report is a good step towards getting some action from the Biden administration to help clean up this environmental justice catastrophe. The last story I want to talk about relates to Hurricane Ian. I first read about what is now called climate gentrification in 2021. I remember I read a story about the the kind of process by which higher ground rent on coastal areas with high flood risk becomes exorbitantly expensive and communities that have occupied those higher ground locations are forced out of their home. The New York Times reported on a pretty scary thing happening in Florida. Florida's real estate might be only affordable and sustainable for the super rich. Privately insured losses from Ian are expected to reach 
$67 billion, and this does not even include flood insurance. Climate change is making these type of disasters more frequent and more damaging. And those who can't afford to live in Florida are going to simply be pushed out. This will happen in coastal communities across the country. It's a major environmental justice issue that I don't see how can be remedied without an enormous amount of spending for environmental justice. That wraps up this episode. I didn't want it to be super long because the the point of this is just to get people to vote. If you're hesitant to vote because you're worried it will take some time or energy that you don't have, just remember that you're voting for the planet. The planet doesn't get a vote. You get a vote. So I guess the sustainability tip for this month is do your civic duty, do your research, look up which candidates are saying and doing which things for the environment and go to the polls. Cast your vote, support Democrats, and continue to prioritize sustainability, climate change, and environmental justice in every voting decision that you make. That's all I have. Thank you so, so much for listening. For next month's episode, Elsa, the producer of Forest Fireside Chats, will be with me for the episode. So uh, that will be an exciting addition to our little project. This is Cora Martin. I hope you all have a wonderful Halloween and stay safe tonight. Enjoy yourselves. Go eat some candy and remember to vote. Bye.